turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Parents Toe. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Parents is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Parents cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferentz Stoke. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferentz. Well, if you listened to the show last week, you heard it was quite upbeat. I had a lot of things to be encouraged by. And guess what, folks? I got some more things to share today uh, that are, are reasons to be encouraged. Uh, before I forget, though, I want to welcome our new listeners. We've added several new cities, uh, Minneapolis, Portland, and New Orleans. So welcome, first-time listeners. And what you're going to learn in listening to this show is, I, like you heard in the advertisements, really do kind of try to cut through the noise and get to the common sense on what's going on in current events, how it affects our money, really anything that affects our money, our ability to, to make it, uh, invest it, pass it on, spend it, all of those things. Recently, in the last few years, of course, a lot of policies have impacted our ability or impacted our money in a big way. Certainly, a lot of government policies have done so, and Federal Reserve policies, which I believe are quasi-government, certainly politically influenced at, at the very least. So you're going to hear me discuss a lot of those types of things. Also share the, your personal bank concept, how that works, how you can grow your money insured guarantee, with guarantees. In other words, you can grow your money safely and income tax-free, highly liquid, and have access to the money and still earn interest on it so you can create positive cash flow on your money. This is a tool that institutional investors often use. I was the board, I was the chairman of the board for a couple of years of a bank, FDIC insured bank in formation. We discuss this at our board meetings on a regular basis. Banks use this tool quite extensively. Again, it, it gives you the ability to grow your money safely, insured, tax free, have ha- high liquidity access to it. And then this uncertain economic times, this chaotic times we're dealing with, both politically and economically, having your money grow safely, insured, tax free is. Probably more important than ever. So let me get to, before I get into any more of the financial stuff, which I will get into, there's some really important financial news. But before I do that, let me get to the things that are of, of encouragement for those who want to see our country get back on track to the direction it was intended to be, the type of country that most of us remember even just a decade or so ago. So, of course, the biggest reason or cause for encouragement, for me at least, the Texas governor standing up to the federal government and saying no. Of course, they've been putting up wire on their border, arresting illegals, all that type of stuff, doing what they can to curb this Im- this invasion of in- illegal immigrants. And uh, of course, as you've probably heard, you know the federal, the Supreme Court ruled against Texas. It, ironically, the federal government, the Biden administration, was suing the state government of Texas and suing them for the purposes of tearing down razor wire. The federal government's job is to protect the United States and their citizens, if that's in the Constitution. Yet they were suing the Texas government to stop them from protecting the the borders or the citizens of this country. In other words, doing the opposite of their constitutional duty, the federal government. Well, unbelievably so, the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, ruled in the Biden administration's favor and stated that they had the right to tear down the wire, the, which is crazy It's when you realize it. The Texas governor, Governor Abbott, refused, and he made a statement very clear, and he stated the federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. And as he pointed out, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and others, other visionaries foresaw that states should not be left at the mercy of, of a f- administration 
that does nothing to stop external threats like invasion, cartel, smuggling, illegal immigrants, drugs, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, and it makes logical sense. I, that's why I said, again, most people believe the, the Supreme Court got this ruling very, very wrong. Remember, folks, this is really super important to understand. So if you're, if you're not sure about it or if you're on the fence or, you, or you're discussing this with somebody and trying to make a good point, remember this. The states created the federal government, not the other way around. The federal government did not create the states. And remember, they when they did the Constitution, the states had to ratify the Constitution to join the Union, which created the current federal government. Now, use a little bit of common sense. I mean, this doesn't take much, but think about this a minute. If the states dreamed that there was any possibility that they could not protect themselves from some sort of invasion, whether it be a foreign military or government or an immigration invasion or whether it's a cartel or drug runners or anything else for that matter, criminal activity of any sort. If any state dreamed that that was a possibility, they would be helpless to protect themselves by joining this national union of the United States. There's no way, there absolutely is no way any state would have joined or ratified the Constitution. I mean, that just makes logical sense. So again, as he pointed out in his letter, that these, and he referred to uh, several uh, clauses in the Constitution that points out that the state's rights are preeminent over the federal rights. And he's correct. Again, the states created the federal government, not the other way around. Another, another place where it's not in this letter, but I've referred to so many times, is our, you know Amendment 10 in the Bill of Rights. And it, it, that's the enumerated powers clause, they call it. In other words, the Constitution lists specific powers the federal government has, and those are, like I said, commerce, protecting the border, things like that, which, ironically, they're not doing right now. But it gives a list of powers the federal government has, and anything not listed in the Constitution is reserved for the states or the people. So, in other words, the Constitution was written to limit federal government powers, not the other way around, not to grant them powers. And that's why I've been discussing this really strong, particularly since the beginning of the year. We as an electorate, we as citizens, we need to understand what the mission was, what's the goal, the purpose of our country, of our government. What is the role of government? J Thomas Jefferson said it, stated so eloquently, an educated electorate is a prerequisite to, to democracy. And he's correct. In other words, the key is you have to educate yourself. And I've shared this on the show, and again, this part of this is for new listeners, but this is worth, worth repeating. The very first document ever created by our country, by the country, the, the government that we live in under currently, was the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson also may often refer to it, and as other founders did, as a mission statement or a aspirational document. In other words, any business, for example, that starts and goes into business, of course, has a mission statement. That's It's their ultimate goal or where they want to head. It's not necessarily where you are. It's where you want to go. And as they stated, things like freedom, you know, all men are created equal, and the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all those kinds of things in the declaration weren't a statement of where things were. It's where they wanted them to go. It was an aspirational statement, a mission statement. And then we should look up to that. That is something we should aspire to. And our country has done that over the, the decades and centuries even to more freedoms for more people. We should be proud of those things. I'm getting off topic here a little bit, but these things are so important. Again, it's the education is the key. What is the role of government? Is it the role of government to take care of you? be there when you need them for this or that or whatever? Or is the role of government to ensure that we live in an environment that is relatively safe, secure, they protect the borders, prevent invasions from other countries, for example, provide a level playing field for commerce and things like that, and allow the citizens to do what they want to do, pursue life, liberty, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? 
it really comes down to that fundamental idea is what is the role of government? What should they be doing? Ironically, if you read the Constitution, and I recommend every citizen do so, and it's ironic how the federal government is doing almost nothing that it's constitutionally appointed to do and is focused on everything else. And why I'm so encouraged, and I'm going to finish up with this thought and move on to some other stuff, and I truly am, is this is one of the biggest constitutional events I've seen. It, it is the largest constitutional event in my lifetime. I would even go as far to say as this is the biggest constitutional event since the Civil War. And why I say that is it's about states' rights. The states have the power, but for the last century or so, they have unfortunately gradually given that power away, and the state powers have been eroded by a federal government that continues to grow and grow and gain more and more power and encroach on both states' rights and our individual rights and liberties. If this stands, and so far it has, in fact, uh, well, I'll finish with this thought. If this stands, this could be the beginning of a generational shift from power moving away from the states and the people to the federal government and to be actually reversed, which is what the founders intended. They intended a small, limited federal government. That's, again, the the Constitution was written to limit federal power, not the other way around. It was written to limit federal powers, to allow states to have a majority of the powers, which would allow more opportunity, more freedom, more, more, they always like diversity. Well, you'd have diversity of opportunities because different states would offer different levels of opportunity and freedom, wouldn't they? And they would create also a competition between states for business, for citizens, and all that. And competition is healthy. Good competition is healthy and creates options and opportunities. This is a shift in thinking about, fe- about the role of government and who should have the power. And I'm all for the states having it, just like the Constitution states. For this to continue, the people need to get educated so that we can keep pushing this forward. The standoff, I mean, I, amazingly, amazingly, we have a situation where the federal government has even threatened military action against a state, the state of Texas. Fortunately, cooler heads have prevailed. The Border Patrol Union states it will not start arresting Texas National Guard members because they are just following lawful orders. This, there's been some talk about potentially a Civil War 2.0. I don't believe that's going to happen. I certainly hope not. It's more of a legal battle and, again, a constitutional battle, which needs to happen. So I can't be more encouraged. Stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to share some more things and get in some uh, economic stuff. If you want to learn how to navigate and thrive in this economic chaos that I believe we're dealing with or will be this year, contact me at yourpersonalbank.com. Stay tuned in the next segment. Don't miss it. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc. I was discussing this whole showdown at the border with Texas and the federal government. I just have a couple other little quick thoughts because, I, again, I believe this is so important. So important to understand for our, the future direction of our country. So some people were concerned, and even the federal government, like I said in the last statement, uh, for a while was were threatening federal or military action against the state of Texas. I don't know about you, but I never thought I would live to see the day that a the federal government would be threat, threatening a state government with military action. Now, again, cooler heads prevailed. The head of the... Um, Border Patrol Union stated they will not start arresting Texas National Guard members. As they stated, they work together, respect each other's jobs, period. 
and the Texas National Guard members have lawful orders, and they need to carry out those orders. Good for them. That was good. The other point, though, that was has been brought out, and again, this is a fast-moving situation. Many people, you're going to be listening to this at different days, different locations throughout the country. The situation could be much different, but the things that I'm sharing, when you listen to this, that is, but the things I'm sharing would be valid no matter what. It's about the the constitutional rights. Who has the rights? And Texas is standing up for their rights. Good for them. They should. The other part, the other concern some people had were afraid it might turn into, you know, that Texas would, in essence, get rolled over by the federal government because the president has the right to nationalize the National Guard. But there are a number of states, in fact, 23 states, including Texas, that operate state-funded guards or state guards. And the state of Texas has the Texas Rangers, which are they respond to the state, the governor, not the feds. In fact, 23 states have state guards. The president cannot nationalize those state guards. Well, folks, they have guns, too. So now you have a situation where you have two different entities, two different government entities, that is, both sides having guns. So I don't think it's going to turn into a shooting war. Again, I certainly hope not. But it does give Texas and these states, you might want to look up in your state if you want to ensure your state will stand up for freedom. Do they have a state-funded guard that the president cannot nationalize? That's worth a thought. We'll just put it that way. I'll put it out there. My point is they can't just roll them over, if you know what I'm saying. And that is that is great news. That is absolutely great news. The other part is the state uh, Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, has denied the DHS request to get access and, of course, tear down the the wires, the concertina wire or whatever. And they've all, he's not only done that, but has required the federal government to supply a bunch of information on why they need access or permission to access these areas because it's Texas sovereign property, not the federal government's. Again, never forget, the states created the federal government, not the other way around. The states have supremacy. The Constitution is extremely clear about that. Now, the other response we've been hearing recently, Biden administration has been trying to throw out this idea that they that he can't stop the border uh, situation without a new, new laws passing and trying to. That's just beyond ridiculous. Of course, he's the one that op- changed the Trump era policies and created this immigration mess we have. But the reality is no new laws need to be passed. This is correct because there are a couple of laws. For for example, one of them, Section 212F of the Immigration and Nationality Act, states very clearly that whenever the president finds the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the U.S., he may by proclamation for a period of time suspend entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or whatever. In other words... With this federal law, the president has the right to suspend all entry of illegal aliens. So Biden has the he has the law. He could do he could do it tomorrow if he wanted to. But in addition to that, another one that's interesting, uh, immigration law also points out is that any person, and it includes everyone, knowing that a person is an alien brings or attempts to bring to the United States a person other than a place of their designated port of entry, they're subject to pr- criminal penalties. In other words, if somebody is found to be helping or aiding or abetting in any way, or even knowing or having a reckless dis- disregard of the fact that they're an alien and, and assist them in entering or coming to or remaining in the United States is in violation of law, or if they transport them, or they, in, in essence, assist them in any way. So if somebody knowing or willfully, recklessly disregards the fact that this person is an illegal alien and they assist them in any way. They have just broken federal laws, Title VIII, 1324, by the way, and are subject to criminal penalties. So these people that are assisting these aliens in any way could be subject to federal prosecution. It will be interesting to see what happens with all this. Again, my encouragement of all this is very simple. The state of Texas is finally stepping up and asserting their rights. 
constitutional rights, and they're absolutely correct in doing so. And my hope and prayer is simple, that this starts the beginning of a renaissance of freedom for the states and the people, for the individuals to live in this country as the founders intended. It's just that simple. I'm for freedom, folks. I'm for options. And if you have 50 states that have 50 different sets of rules, you know, abortion is a, is a hot topic, obviously. There's many people that are for it and those that are against it. And I was very, very encouraged when the Supreme Court last year overturned Roe v. Wade, but on top, not so much that, that they kicked it back to the states. That is the correct constitutional approach. There's nothing in the Constitution that states the federal government has any right to be involved in the abortion question. It doesn't exist. Just like this Texas border thing. It's the states have the right. Now, the border thing, of course, a little more complicated because the federal government is supposed to, to uh, protect the border. That is in the Constitution. But when they fail to do so, clearly the states can step in. They have that right. Well, with abortion, the federal government has no role whatsoever. Abortion or many, many other things. You could say the Department of Education. There's a whole, lot, whole host of other areas. Our federal government has no business whatsoever being involved in. It's a states' rights issue, and we have different states that have different rules. Well, guess what? That is awesome because what does that do? It creates options for people. If you believe in one, believe one thing or another, you can find a state that fits your belief system. That is how this country was intended, how it was designed. It was that way from the very beginning, folks. I mean, when you looked at the original 13 colonies, they were very different. Some were very, the southern ones, for the most part, were very agriculturally focused. The northern, more merchant focused. They were started by different groups of disparate groups of people. They had different economies, different ideas, but they worked together, in essence, in a loose association for mutual defense for the federal government to do that. And again, level playing field for commerce. Those are two of the big reasons for the federal government. And there's a few others, but not very many. Again, it's show, supposed to be the states. And again, if we, this idea continues, I couldn't be more excited. It's the same idea with money and investing and all that. If you put all your eggs in one basket, you know, or someone tells you to do that, we all know that you would be crazy to do that. Why do we look at it politically? that we should have all eggs in one basket, the federal government, that is. Wouldn't it make more sense to have 50 different baskets, to have a diverse options, diversification of options in terms of states and what they do and what they don't do, and you could have options of what made sense, and the, the cream will rise to the top, the best ideas will win, and different states will copy those ideas. I mean, that was the intention. That was the, the founders were brilliant on this stuff. This was the intention. I'd love to see our country go back that way. We would be so much stronger. We'd have so much more freedom. We'd have so much more opportunity. We've been known as the land of opportunity for, gosh, a couple hundred years now. It's, we're not the land of dependency. Look, if a state wants to go down that path, that's their choice. I don't have an issue with it. If folks want to be dependent on government or whatever or anyone else for that matter and a state wants to offer those kinds of things, Fine. They, they have the constitutional right to do so, and those kind of people can flow to that state. If a different, another state wants to focus more on opportunity and business and whatever it may be, great. People could flock to that state that are more inclined to that, and we can all have a mutual defense agreement in essence, right? That's what was intended. I love, again, the thinking is going that way few other things. Oh, yeah. One other thing I want to share about that is, oh, on the immigration, the costs of it from an economic standpoint are just staggering. Again, number one issue for people, for voters this year is illegal immigration. I just saw an uh, article here from the um, Federation for American Immigration Reform. Uh, they're stating that limited English proficiency students cost taxpayers about $60 billion annually. These students get extra, they require extra teaching, extra training. And guess who pays for all of that? Well, of course we do. And then another big thing is, Matt, you know, you hear about this. Well, it's going to help. We need people in the workforce and help Social Security folks. That's not true. 
mass immigration is not a panacea to save Social Security because you have situations like chain migration where immigrants can sponsor numerous relatives, some of them already elderly. Well, guess what? They get older too. So rather than rejuvenating our workforce, mass immigration and chain migration are more likely to overburden the system even further. These things are not good economically and financially for the country. Here's another one. I mean, we have a housing shortage in this country, and then you bring in millions of people. Well, they got to live somewhere. That's just idiotic. That makes no sense. What, what's that going to do? Drive the cost of housing up for everyone, right? So economically and just morally, on every level you can think of, you got the drugs and you got all the you know, the cartels that take advantage of these people and all that stuff, too. It's just not right and needs to stop. Now, I'm going to stay. I'm going to recommend you stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to discuss some things about the economic situation we're looking at this year. And I'm going to share some ideas of how you can not only navigate that, but thrive. Of course, diversification is key. Having some guaranteed funds, tax-free, we really beneficial. Having liquidity, access to the funds. And how about earning some positive cash flow on your money even after you spend it? Well, guess what? Your personal bank can do all those things. Contact me at yourpersonalbank.com for more info. Stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to share some, like, like I said, some economic news that I think you'll find very beneficial. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc. Well, let's, tuck on, uh, let's touch on some uh, current economic news. It's very, I think it's really important you understand what's going on. Legacy media course, does not share much of this stuff. So it's always sometimes difficult to find, but if you dig, you can find it. And that's why I said I cut through the try to cut through the noise and let you know what's really going on. So this past month, Americans increased their credit card debt by $19 billion in one month. That happens to be a record. In other words, the total debt, this is according, this was November's total debt, according to Wells Fargo, exceeded $5 trillion for the first time in history. The surge in debt, of course, was largely driven by increase of credit card debt. So credit card debt is showing cracks in the system. Like they said, they're saying showing that the, the tightening in credit availability is already starting to happen. We're seeing an increase or an uptick in delinquency rates on all types of loans credit card, auto loans, whatever, you name it, all right? And we are starting to see some real, as they put it, cracks in the system. The The Philadelphia Fed observed a widening gap where lower-income households are reducing their spending but also incurring more debt, which is contrasting with the high-income high households that are still spending. But the cause for concern it always hits the lower incomes folks first. High inflation does. That's that's well known. One of the things, though, they're looking at here in another article I was looking at, that the savings rate, in other words, the savings rate that the American households have has fallen by quite a bit. In fact, the average savings rate now has dropped to 4%. Now, why is that so important? Well, if you look back at the historical savings rates of Americans, the American household, 4% is the average. So we're now back to where it is typically. I've shared this on this show a number of times previously. There was a lot of predictions from a lot of economists. I thought that myself for a while, that we were going to see a recession in 2023. And based on all the leading economic indicators, I did a show on this, I believe, in May of 2023, where I was show, pointing out where all the leading economic indicators were pointing to a recession. And that, that's what the econo economists and everybody was look, were looking at. 
many of these these uh, indicators have never been wrong. But of course, we didn't have a recession in 2023. Not really. What happened? Well, the reality is, is the amount of money that was pumped into the economy through the the COVID relief funds was at a rate we've never seen in history. It was more and lasted longer than most economists thought it would. This is why so many American households had more money in savings, excess funds, whatever, and they continued spending. In fact, if you look at any of the numbers in the economy for 2023, the only bright spot was consumer spending. Now, consumer spending does account for a majority of GDP and things like that. So that's what kept the economy afloat. It it was the only bright spot. Everything else was negative. You looked at the manufacturing numbers, whatever you wanted to look at. Consumer spending was strong. And by the way, some people come back and say, well, the, the unemployment numbers were low. No, the unemployment numbers are actually been manipulated. I've shared this on previous shows, too. You need to know the facts. Look, you can you can listen to propaganda what the what the agenda of the legacy media is and what the government wants you here, or you can dig in and look at the facts. The facts are this. After COVID, a lot of people gave up on looking for jobs, and they just don't count those people anymore. They just took them off the counting list. So the actual unemployment rate, the number of people working, percentage of people working today is still actually lower than it was pre-COVID. So if you were to count those long-term unemployed people that just, well, frankly, just gave up, our unemployment numbers would be quite a bit higher. So you can't tell me unemployment is low. They just changed how they started counting the numbers. So they're manipulated, okay? But that's another whole story. My point is the only real bright spot in the economy for 2023 was consumer spending. That is weakening as we speak, particularly in the lower-income households. Their savings rates are getting run out. They're running out of savings. Their borrowing rates, their debt rates are increasing to at or near all-time highs. These are not good signs. If the consumer spending starts to weaken further, which we're seeing the beginnings of that in many ways, that could spell the end of, well, that would spell a, a recession. It just plain and simple. That is why you're now starting to see Quite a few economists and experts and such state we will see a recession in 2024. And again, the reason behind it, I had this theory about a year ago. Uh, You can go back to yourpersonalbank.com and listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows. They're all there. So you could, and each has its own topic, so you can listen. And it's there still. So you can go back. I'm not blowing smoke, it's still there. I started discussing how, well, all this extra economic stimulus, in other words, cash flowed into the system was going to create a bubble and was going to delay any recession probably far longer than most people expected. And that's exactly what is happening. The mistake that I think a lot of people believe right now is, well, so many economists predicted a recession in 2023 and it didn't happen, means we're not going to have one. No, it doesn't mean we're not going to have one. It just means it's been delayed. It's been delayed for about a year I don't, or so. We don't know. All the the economic indicators are still pointing to recession, folks. Nothing has changed. All that's happened is all that economic stimulus, all that money in the system has caused it to be delayed by at least a year, it looks like, maybe a little longer. We'll see. My point is simple. You need to protect yourself. You need to diversify because it's uncertain what is going to happen. We're in a political year. It's going to be... Chaotic. I think almost anyone uh, agrees that politically speaking, we're going to see some chaotic things happen. I would not be surprised. Don't be surprised. And some of that's going to affect our us economically and our money. So what's the best thing you could do? I get that all the time. Well, having your money safe is a good idea, especially right now, until we can wait and see what's going to happen. We'll know at the end of the year what direction our company, country, I should say, is going to be going next year, right? I don't think any reasonable person can argue the fact that whichever administration, whether Democrats or Republicans are in charge, let's say, in 2025, the policies that affect our economy and our money will be starkly different. So it's, right now it's impossible to predict 
where things are going to be in a year. Tell me who's who is the president, who's in charge, and I'll give you a much clearer idea. But we don't know that until November, right? So the reality is right now is a good time to bide your time, protect yourself, having guaranteed funds, having some money guaranteed. Hey, having some money tax-free, also very, very good idea. Government debt is, I think, the looming crisis, and the government is federal government, at least, is going to be under increasing pressure to raise revenues. Now, I'm not saying this is a good idea, but one of those ways certainly is to raise taxes. And if they do raise taxes or brackets or whatever, you're going, it's going to impact your money, your investments, your income, all of those things. Well, what if you create a tax-free bucket of money? If they double the tax rate on you, two times zero is still zero, so who cares? Your personal bank creates a tax-free bucket of money. It's insured. It has guarantees. It's safe. Also, unlike most guaranteed type of investments, it happens to be highly liquid. You have access to the majority of your money day one. You can also create positive cash flow. In other words, if you're earning more in dividends than you, then you, when you decide to access the money, as long as you're earning as much or more in dividends, then you get charged an interest when you access it using the funds and the policies collateral. We discuss this all the time on this show. You get to keep the difference. Well, what if that difference is just 1%? And by the way, it's not one year. It's every year the rest of your life. Let's just say it's 1%. By the way, the historical average is 2 to 3, but let's just be super conservative. Well, that's money that you would have to see in your pocket available to you. You would see no other way. In other words, your money's going to grow go farther. It's going to you'll able, able to earn some interest on the money even after you spend it. It's the only way you can do that that I'm aware of. And I'm on the radio literally coast to coast, all right? So the reality is you can Make your money stretch farther. Your dollar stretches farther. And, hey, when you're dealing with higher inflation, that is more important than ever, isn't it? That's why I'm so adamant. I'm strong. I believe the personal, your personal bank is such a key financial tool, especially today going forward and what we're dealing with, with, like I said, political chaos, most likely, some economic chaos or uncertainty at the at the bat, at at the very least, and I do believe we're still facing some sort of recession in the near future. How, when that's going to happen, hard to predict. But again, you want to watch consumer spending really, really close because that's the one bright spot. And once the consumers decide, hey, we're not feeling as good, or they start running out of those excess savings, which is happening, we're back to normal levels, levels that are typically at norms. Now, once those go, start going below normal levels, the spending gets pulled back. Consumers stop spending as much, and that's the last straw. That's the last thing that's holding the economy up. At this point, we will clearly, there's no doubt, consumer spending reduces, we will see an inflation. At what degree, hard, soft, don't know. It just depends on the level of consumer spending that's reduced, right? What's going to affect that? That is impossible to predict. It's like, what is the event? What is the action? What is the thing that's going to cause the cascade of events? That's impossible to predict. But I can tell you there will be an event. It's like I was sharing with a uh, potential client a couple of days ago, and we were discussing they were concerned because the stock market is at or near all-time highs. They were concerned, rightly so, and he asked me a few things. I said, well, let's go back in history. Here's the thing we do know. The markets can go up from where they're at, certainly, but markets also go down. When you're at all-time highs, you're, what's, your, what's your risk? What's your risk percentage of it going up versus going down? Certainly much higher that it's going to go down. The bottom line is every, we all have economic cycles. We always do. The market's going to go down at some point. That's just history. Anybody tells you otherwise is not paying attention. Protect yourself. Diversify. Have some guaranteed funds. That's the advice I give you. Your personal bank will give you those things. Stay tuned in the next segment. Contact me for more information. Stay tuned in the last segment. Got a few other things I think you'll find very interesting that you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferrens. For more information... 
contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Parents Toast. Want more information? Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference. Well, I've been discussing a lot of things today about the direction of our country. You know, what kind of government do we want to have? Do we want a land of opportunity to continue? Do we want a land of dependency? What are the constitutional rights? This whole thing about the border in Texas is all really about who's in charge, the states or the feds. Remember, always remember, the states created the federal government, not the other way around. States, supreme, have the rights. The the Constitution gave certain rights to the federal government and limited them to anything else. Some of those, of course, were protecting the border, foreign invasion, military, commerce, things like that. But outside of of the things listed in the Constitution, the federal government has no business being involved in. Why is this so important on a financial show? Well, it has everything to do with it. Economic freedom is freedom. The founders understood this. The, the phrase in the Declaration of Independence, the very first document, one of the very first statements was, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, do you know that that almost was life, liberty, and property? In other words, we had the certain inalienable rights given by God, and those were right, life, liberty, and property. That's what was shared with John Locke. George Washington called him the, the best man he knew, li- uh, whoever lived. Okay, that was George Washington's statement. The founders were highly influenced and highly respected John Locke and other philosophers like this that discussed the, I- the ideas of rights of man and where they came from, from the creator, things like this. And again, it was commonly shared. Life, liberty, and property were the phrases was the three big things. The founders understood that the right to property, the right to property ownership, was a key foundational element to freedom. Without the ability to own property, without to have, you can't have economic freedom. Without economic freedom, you can't enjoy other freedoms. They just don't work. Now, Jefferson changed the phrase to the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, in today's world, that phrase has been misinterpreted. What is the pursuit of happiness? Well, some people look at it as more of a individualistic thing that, you know, whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good. No, that's not what Jefferson and the founders meant when they said that. The pursuit of happiness is the ability, like, like they said, to own property, to build a business, to create something for your family, to have something you would be proud of. It was a societal and a cultural and even a, uh, a social type of thing. It was you had the right to build your own future. Again, remember where they came from. They had a dictator, a king. The king owned everything. He owned the land. He owned everything. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have the ability. You go back to Middle, middle Ages, you, you know, the, the serfs worked for the nobles, right? The peasants worked for the nobles. They didn't have rights to build anything, grow anything of their own, or keep anything of their own. So the pursuit of happiness was the ability to build something for yourself and your family, something you could call your own. So so the pursuit of happiness can mean different things for different people, and I love the phrase. It's more poetic, certainly, but that's really what the intention or what, what Jefferson meant by that. So why am I getting to this? The point is we, again, need as a country, as individuals, as citizens, we need to answer the question, and that's, that's, the, that's the division in our country today, is what kind of country, what kind of government, what kind of society do we want to live in? A land of opportunity that's been known for 200-plus years or a land of dependency? I got this article that addresses this very issue. So that it states, I was stranded in an EV at midnight, and progressives don't want you to know about my nightmare. Now, why is this important? We all know the Biden administration and our government has been pushing EVs down our throats and 
imposing or trying to impose all these mandates and such. I've even shared on the show, I have a client who we don't see eye to eye politically on almost anything. We respect each other. We shared various ideas, and she was very, very much pro-green energy. And here was my statement. My statement was, I have nothing against green energy. What I have, what I'm against is the government shoving it down our throats. And here was what was interesting. Her response was, I agree. We as Americans, most of us agree on the same thing. Green energy, hey, if it's commercially viable and all that kind of stuff, great. I, in fact, I'm, on, I'm personally in all of the above because, again, I believe in diversification, just like in investing. Why, again, I'll go back to the same point I made earlier. If I told you or if someone told you to put all your money into one stock, you tell them they were crazy. Why? That's putting all your eggs in one basket. Why in the world would we put all our eggs into electricity, for example, for cars? Why put all our eggs in one basket? Each source of energy has strengths and weaknesses, whether it's coal, oil, natural gas, nuclear, wind, solar, electric. I don't care. They all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. The strength of our energy grid is because we have a diverse energy grid. It's ironic how... The left always says this, our, this, our strength is diversity, yet we want you all to drive electric cars. When they want diversity in one respect, they're all for it, and in another, they want to force one option down your throat. They're not for it. I, th I find that ironic. But you see my point. It's the diversity of, e of energy sources that gives our energy grid strength. So if we've got a little solar, we've got some nuclear, and we've got some coal, and we've got some oil and natural gas and some wind, and a little, you know, again, a little of everything, the strengths and weaknesses balance them out, just like a well-balanced portfolio. In the long run, you're just going to do better. It just makes logical sense. The same thing with government. 50 state governments with ideas from 50 different places, the cream will rise to the top, the best ideas will come through and be copied, is far more innovative, far more diverse, far more successful than one monolithic federal government. And again, this goes back to the original vision of the, of the founders, frankly. So this whole EV thing, that article, yeah, he got himself stranded because his uh, battery ran out. Where do you get? And he was in more of a rural area. There was no uh, chargers available. What do you do? You're stuck. He had to get towed. He had to get a hotel room. And it, was just, it was just a nightmare. We saw that when the cold weather happened not too long ago up in Chicago and those places where the, the electric cars would work they couldn't, and they couldn't recharge the batteries because it was too cold. Because guess what, folks? Any of, the, any of you that are inclined uh, mechanically, let's say, you understand batteries don't work as well when it's cold. In fact, they lose, they'll lose like up to 75% of their charge if the temperatures get cold enough. It's significant. Well, here's another one. Again, the government has having no business getting involved in this stuff but New Jersey banned bag, uh, uh, one-use, single-use plastic bags throughout the state. Well, guess what? What, and what ended up happening, they shifted from plastic film bags to alternative bags, and it, and it resulted in a three-fold increase in plastic consumption. Here's why. The multi-use bags that they required, this was the strictest ban, and they put this in ban in 2022 in the country, the multi-use bags are thicker. They have to have more, pl they, more plastic in them because they got to last multiple times. Well, here's the problem. People would use them a few times and then replace them because, guess what? They don't last. So what ended up happening is the average amount of plastic increased of use increased threefold. These alternative bags made it worse. So in other words, here's the thing. Why is the government getting involved with telling people what kind of bags to use? Just like why is the government getting involved in telling us what kind of cars to buy or drive? It's none of their business. It's not it's unconstitutional. It's not their right. If they want green energy to succeed, then let the marketplace of ideas let the marketplace make it happen. Now, I got another couple of little quick thoughts here. 
I just want to share these because I thought I, I saw these and they were so good that I just have to share this. So we've been seeing some of this stuff about reparations and all that. Again, that's an economically economic disaster. Why would you give reparations to people who are never slaves to be paid from people who are never slave owners? I mean, I'm half Hungarian. My, my dad's side came, escaped from Hungary. I'm first generation. They didn't have slaves. My other half, they were northerners. So they, they, in fact, they didn't have any either. They, like, they were poor potato farmers, some of my family. So my, why should I have to pay for any reparations? I don't feel any guilt. There's no, no family history. And, but, but here's the thing. Even if there was, I still wouldn't feel guilty about it at all because I'm not responsible for my father's or grandfather's actions. That's like saying, look, if your dad or grandparent, let's say, committed murder, yeah, it's really bad. What are they gonna, and they found out about it now. So let's say it was not, he was not convicted, and then now they've determined, yes, he's convicted. Are they going to put you in jail because your dad or grandfather committed murder? Are you responsible for their actions? No, that's silly. It's just plain silly. But I saw this, and it was so good. It was a, it's a picture of a little girl. She's probably three or four years old, cute little girl. And it says, and there's two little girls. One is an American little girl, obviously, and the second one is Japanese little girl. Two beautiful, little, adorable girls. And it states, blaming her for slavery, the American girl, in other words, is like blaming her for Pearl Harbor, the Japanese girl. I thought, you know, that's quite appropriate. So, again, my point is simple. Trying to take the blame or trying to um, force People, again, government getting involved in places it shouldn't be to pay for reparations for people that were not harmed by slavery, slavery because they were never slaves. In fact, nobody alive has been a slave. All right, that was taken care of. There was a civil war. We fought over that. Yeah, it was bad. Yes, it was wrong. But that was dealt with 150 years ago, folks. Get over it. I'm sorry. I know that's not politically popular, but that's the truth. And that's the type of stuff for you new listeners. Again, welcome to the show uh, from Minneapolis, Portland, and New Orleans. First-time listeners, I hope you stick, uh, stay tuned next week. I'm going to cut through the noise, no BS, tell you like it is straight. Nobody's telling me what to say. I'm blessed that way or not, not to say. You can verify that with any of the stations I work with. I'm just sharing with my heart what I see, what I research, and what I believe from my, my standpoint. And I try to share that no BS, common sense approach, whether it's dealing with our government, with the current economy, with your finances. When I work with people and planning their future, I don't, I don't mess around. I tell them like it is. I tell them what they need to know. I'm not rude or mean about it. I just, I'm direct and tell you what you need to know, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Because we're all adults, and that way, you, that's how you can make the best financial decisions for you and your loved ones. Stay tuned to next week's show. I'll have some more great information to share with you. And as long as it's on our money, in God we trust. Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com.